0: book of Revelation, we'll be reading verses, chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, we won't have time to go through all of the seals, but we're going to start opening some of the seals or look at how the seals were opened and what they mean, the text, the sermon this morning is entitled, God's Activity Against All Sin. If you remember from last week, in the John's vision from chapter five, he has seen the Lamb on the throne, the only one worthy to open these seals. The Lamb, as though he were slain before the foundation of the earth. Verse one: Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, "Come!" And I looked, and behold a white horse, and his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Come, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with the famine, and with pestilence, and and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who will dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And Father in heaven, as we pray for your blessing upon this, let us, for the few moments ahead, set aside any barriers in our thinking that we might consider something new. These passages of Revelation we know have been controversial For many people, give your servant clarity for his message. May this be received by your people just for the moment to consider and pray over. We long to make sense and to understand the wisdom that is here. This book is meant to equip us and to prepare us. So let us see what is here for us, that we might be encouraged, that we might be strengthened, that we might be ready. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Many of us are very familiar with uh, airline crashes. They're very frequent, well, very frequent enough in the news when something happens and there's a disaster or unfortunate event, they always look for the flight recorder. They call them black boxes. I don't know why they aren't black. But there is a flight recorder and a cockpit voice recorder so they can read what the airplane electronics could tell them, and they could also hear what the pilots were talking about. I was sharing with uh, the adult Sunday school class before. My dad was a private pilot. He loved airplanes. I kind of enjoy them, too. I can't afford them. But I'm not afraid to fly. At least I used to not be afraid. I'm not afraid of heights. I might have second thoughts about flying these days. There's a, episode, a series on television uh, called May Day. Some of you may have seen it. There are several episodes there where they examine air disasters and they always look after the crash, they get the cockpit flight recorder and reveal the pilots. I've seen two or three efforts where the pilots have their flight manuals open in front of their laps and trying to figure out what's going on. And I scratch my head and I thought they were supposed to know this stuff before they got in the airplane. But while they're doing this, there are buzzers and alarms going off telling them, Something's wrong. And they've even in a couple of these episodes talked about how these alarms and buzzers and bells get so annoying the pilots very quickly zone them out. They pay no attention to them because they're too much of a distraction. They've got one major problem they need to attention, give attention to and everything else they just kind of set aside Airplanes are wonderful things, especially the big airliners. An A320 has 340,000 parts, weighs over 100,000 pounds. Compared to a 747, has 6 million parts. And standing on the ground with no fuel, no passengers, and no freight, weighs 430 pounds. I think it's quite remarkable that these things can fly. On March 13, 2014 at an airport in Philadelphia, flight 1702 started down the runway on their way to Florida. And the flight voice recorder Recorded the conversation between the pilot and the cockpit. Alarm went off. Beep, beep, beep. And the pilot said, I've never heard that before. Do you know what it is? And the GO pilot said, I have no idea. And the pilot said, we'll sort it out when we get airborne. They didn't have the plane configured for takeoff properly. So 2,000 feet down the runway when the nose was in the ditch, they had to evacuate the plane Thankfully, no one was hurt. But here's the point I'd like to make as illustration before we get into our text. These airplanes race down the runway and when they do, everything must be perfect. If one buzzer goes off, it's that airplane is telling you something is wrong. Pay attention. One sin can cause disaster. And you and I know that. We've already seen it in the Garden of Eden. Right? Revelation has sometimes been described as kind of a flight recorder. It explains what went wrong in this world. More accurately, it tells us how God has responded and how he will respond against sin. When we read Revelation, we need to keep reminding ourselves because John tells us again and again and again. And he's not waxing eloquent when he does. He's telling us. He's telling us what was, what is, and what is to come. He was instructed to do that. The book of Revelation tells us what has happened and why it has happened, what is happening and why it is happening, and what will happen. Just as Christ himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Revelation is telling us past, present, and future. A proposition is kind of long. We must be aware of the fact that the first five seals of Revelation chapter 6 teach us that our Lord has and always will take action against sin. We see evidence of it in the consequences of war, famine, suffering, and death. Those who do not repent will suffer the consequences of sin forever. Those who turn and repent will find mercy in Christ and the sure promise of eternal life. Kind of a long proposition. I'll try and be brief as we move through this. But we're looking at what many people often call, and I've even seen programs on the History Channel, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Don't pay any attention to the History Channel. You know, you think that if, if they call themselves the History Channel, so we're going to learn history, they're also going to tell you about UFOs. I don't trust the accuracy of the History Channel, it might be entertaining that's as far as it goes but these horsemen that are described in Revelation chapter 6 are really just I don't mean in a small way an illustration of angelic beings riding horses in clouds and some of you may have been to churches or seen preachers teach on this I grew up learning this stuff and I remember my own pastor using these illustrations big banners behind the pulpit showing angels on horses riding in the clouds and telling us the Bible says that will happen. Really. I don't mean to mock these preachers, but do we really expect to see horsemen riding in the clouds? Bringing judgment. And I don't mean to discount the power of the vision. It is important. We need to learn the lesson from it. We know we've sinned. The whole human race is guilty. We know that Revelation says a lot about God's judgment against sin. But is Revelation all about the future? we want to look at two main points that are drawn from my proposition. God's activity against all sin and God's promise for his children. This vision of the horseman, what was and what is and what is to come, it's there. We look at all four of them together and it is there. Let me give you give me a few moments and I will explain it. But when we look at these horsemen and their activity, this is God's response to man's sin. Past, present, and future. John talks about four visions or four seals. I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and his rider had a bow, and a crown was given, him, given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So very quickly, there's a white horse. I'll read more in a moment. There's a white horse who came to conquer. There's a bright red horse who came for war. There's a black horse who came bringing famine. And the fourth horse brings death. One of these is different. They're all coming with some tool marking what their activity is. But one is different. The one riding the first horse, the white horse, has a crown. There's authority. There's rule. There is kingship. Revelation 19, verse 11, the John talks about another vision. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And the righteousness he judges and makes war. Talking about the son of God. Again, Revelation 14, verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud. One like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. The right of the white horse has to be, has to be the Lord of glory. If you remember, Revelation chapter 1, he is described as the glorified Lord. Beautiful, angelic, glorious. Revelation 5, he is described as a lamb slain. And in Revelation 6, he is a sovereign Lord orchestrating the judgment upon man's sin. All of these different visions are different lessons about the activity of God our Lord our Savior well if he's bringing war isn't God supposed to be loving think this through with me when we say that God is infinite in all things that means he is without measure anywhere he is outside of time he is not limited by time. He is not constrained by our world at all. He is outside of it with his eyes looking in and yet within it, present with us in Christ. He has created it all for his glory, for his purpose. So he is infinite without measure in love, without measure in mercy, without measure in power, without measure in compassion and patience. At the same time, and this just kind of blows your mind, we don't understand it. He is also infinite without measure in righteousness, justice, wrath. Our minds just go tilt how can he be both I remember one author reading one author years ago talking about what he had seen in the book in the Old Testament that God acts like a jilted lover and that made sense tremendously loving and yet betrayed by an unfaithful bride I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that in a relationship where someone was unfaithful to you 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 hurt so much you still love them but you were just so angry. That's the infinite compassion and anger of God when he considers our sin and infidelity. So when we read about this white horse one with a crown and with a bow, coming to conquer and conquering and to conquer. We look back in Isaiah. Where is the evidence of that? Does God really do that? Evidence, Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. God wouldn't do that. I make peace and I create calamity. I do all these things. The Bible tells us so. Infinite in his compassion and love, infinite in his wrath and justice and righteousness. We look back at our confession, Westminster Confession, it says God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. That's that's a lot to take in. What does it mean, preacher? God is not the author of sin. We are. In Adam and Eve's rebellion, they began stepping on the path of rebellion and disobedience and evil. And since we are their children, we are born in their likeness. We are born in sin. So God hasn't authored sin. He hasn't created sin. We do. But as we act out in sinful behavior, doing sinful things, God God ordains the second causes. What we do is ordained by God for his purpose. And sometimes his purpose is judgment and pain and suffering and death. Proverbs one twenty two through twenty seven. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoff? Will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called you and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Does that sound like the God you worship? It is, or it should be. We don't worship a Santa Claus. John's vision of four horsemen tells us that there is a sovereign Lord orchestrating the consequences of men's sin for his glory, for his purpose. might ask why doesn't God do anything about the sin in the world that's exactly what he's doing he is judging it actively he has been in every generation throughout all recorded history the white horse the rider came to conquer conquering and to conquer he had a crown and he had a bow Hebrews chapter 1 quotes Psalm 110. Speaking of the Lord himself, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, but you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Could this not be why he has assigned three other angels to bring calamity upon the rebellious sin in this world? The first one coming, well, a white horse with a crown has the authority to assign these other visions, these other illustrations, these other examples of what is happening. The bright red horse brings war. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and his rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley or a denarius, and do not harm the oil of the wine. This one comes, the first one came with a sword, bringing war. This one comes with a scale in his hand. He is measuring out, rationing out the food. Famine. Even Inflation this is where it gets political but I'm not going to go there but it does get political our nation has sent a lot of food to other nations because of famine and starvation existing we send aid everywhere but a lot of those countries that receive our aid don't give it to those in need They use it for political leverage elsewhere. And people remain in starvation. That's the kind of suffering that's going on in this world. Because men are sinners. And we are reaping. We are reaping the fruit that has been sown. And this nation, this world needs to repent. Repent. And we as Christians need to recognize what is going on. That's why it says a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. How much do you make each day at your job? Could you imagine spending, it says a quart. That's not very much. That might make two small loaves of bread. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a baker. for a day's wage and barley was even cheaper And it's a, they're saying inflation is going to get worse it's going to be harder to get food and we've seen times like this throughout history most recently I think that I recall to mind is the nation of Germany between the first world war and the second world war it is said that inflation got so bad there that you could fill your wheelbarrow up with cash money and buy a loaf of bread. People back then thought the Lord was coming soon too. Do not harm the oil or the wine. We talked about idiomatic phrases last week. Here's another one. What does that mean? It means that even the wealthy, the people who could afford the wealthy things that will be rationed too. Do not harm the oil of the wine. Do not abuse it. Do not use it too much. It's got to be metered out. It's got to be rationed out too. That even the wealthy and the rich will not escape this kind of famine. The pale horse is death. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his rider named was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. I need to ask you again, is this an explanation of future events, the very last days, something we look forward to, or is this something that we've already seen? What generation do you know of throughout history? And everyone here should have had some introduction to history. When has this not happened? It's been in every generation since Adam and Eve. And John is telling us, the Lord is telling us through John, explaining to us, this is my reaction to sin, and I am calling you to repentance man in his proud effort to exalt himself has been barreling down the runway in search of his own glory and God has been setting off alarms stop, repent, turn around or die. That's what this is telling us. But mankind, this world has proven to be foolish. Foolish. It's almost as if we say, let's just sort it out once we get airborne. And we never do. You're familiar with C.S. Lewis's writing, his quote, Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's what John is describing with these four. Every generation has, has experienced this. And God and his sovereign authority has orchestrated it all. For the lost world, the four host, horsemen have always been God's activity against sin. And you're very familiar with Romans 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, and God has been actively against it. James 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, you, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you know what friendship with the world is? That friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be heard, excuse me, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Why has there always been war? Why has there always been hunger? Why has there always been famine? Why has there always been disease? Because these visions have been fulfilling themselves in every generation, in every eon, in every decade, in every life. Not something to look forward to. It's something that is happening now. These alarms have been blasting away at our souls for generations. We have become deaf. We have acclimated. Oh, this is just normal. We can tolerate this. We can put, this is okay. As long as we can sleep comfortably in our warm beds, safe from pain and want, the suffering elsewhere doesn't really matter much. But I need to remind you that death never was meant to be normal. Hunger was never meant to be normal. Disease was never meant to be normal. We have been living in a subnormal, painful, hurting, rebellious world because of our sin. And God has been against that in every generation. All of these things that are happening the pain, the hunger, the disease, the suffering, the war, the death all of these things are chastening rods in the hands of God. He has already ordained that the consequences of sin be very painful and expensive. Remember, He is not the author of evil or sin and suffering but is never beyond his authority to control he can use it to punish a person he can use it to judge a nation and he very often does proverbs 8:15 the bible says by me kings reign john calvin once wrote when god wants to judge a nation he gives them wicked rulers This is God's activity against all sin. Take your breath. I'm going to turn to the good stuff, okay? I know this has been heavy, but I told you before, we cannot tiptoe through revelation. For the believer, God has a promise for his children. First, we need to wake up. We need to know what is going on. And that's what we learn with these first four seals. If you're sitting around waiting on angels to appear in the clouds riding horses, so you can know when the end is near, I, would, I, I, I hurt to say that you would be pretty much useless for the kingdom. God is at war with the lost. He will remain at war with the lost until they turn and repent. The world is at war with God and with his children. Psalm 2 reminds us of that. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's a description about man's rebellion against God. I want nothing to do with God, let's just take the control of him off of my life. Now, as children of God, as believers, the the world is at war with God. We are at war with the sin in the world. And in ourselves. We're going to get further into this later in Revelation, so I'm not going to expand on that right now. But you might be wondering, how might we achieve victory? First, we already enjoy the eternal consequences of victory that has been secured for us in Christ. And you're very familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus Christ, perfect, sinless Son of God, became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He came to this earth, this world, put on our spiritual filth, gave us his righteous robes, and set us free. These things we read in Revelation there for us to understand they're not a condemnation on our lives. And when we see the things happening in this world we need to understand that God is in control. He's not lost control. He's not gone crazy. But while we enjoy the eternal consequences of what Christ has done for us and we are safe in his care we also need to be a Be afraid of the consequences of sin. Because we're still sinning. The eternal consequences have been taken away. But we still struggle with it. James chapter 1 verse 13 says. Let no one say when I am tempted. I am tempted being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's a warning. We need to be aware that sin can devastate our life. It still can bring a lot of pain. And we need to stay away from it. We need to hate it. Being faithful to this principle strengthens our faith. If anyone is not faithful the one who is truly saved cannot be condemned. We can rejoice in that but he or she can be chastised. God will correct the child he loves. The old timey expression he'll take him to the woodshed. He'll get after him with a switch. There have been and will continue to be consequences for sin. For the believer, we can call it collateral damage. But it's not eternal. It's limited to this lifetime. God has a promise for his children. Verse 9 of chapter 6. It's not going to sound like a promise. But It is. were to be killed as they themselves had been. Clearly some of these people that John saw near the throne wondering how long Lord shall we wait to be avenged. Clearly some of them had to have been mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 beginning of verse 32, what shall I more say for the time would be would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves. All these things having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that without they without us should not be made perfect. The very first message the Lord preached told us you shall be persecuted. And you will be blessed because you are persecuted. That might not sound like a good promise, but it's an honest one, and you need to be ready to expect it. Psalm 25.10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his testimonies. In the face of trial, in the face of tribulation, in the face of persecution, you need to be, be, to be faithful to keep his testimonies, his precepts, his principles, his truth. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will always be there. He is always there, even when times get difficult. It may seem like he's forgotten you when you are terrified and frightened, but he is there with you. He is your anchor. He is your sure defense. He is your righteous strong arm. Trust him. Psalm 118 verse 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do to me? We have eternal life. This temporary suffering is a small thing. That's how we should consider it. We have his sure promise. Let us trust in in that more than we trust in this world. We must be aware of the fact that the first five seals of Revelation chapter 6 teach us that our Lord has and always will take action against sin. We see evidence of it in the consequences of war, famine, suffering, and death. Those who do not repent will suffer the consequences of sin forever. Those who turn and repent will find mercy in Christ and the sure promise of eternal life. We have seen God's activity against all sin We see God's promise to his children that we have eternal life. One final illustration and I'm done. Again, this is C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. We know not what we shall be, but we may be sure that we will be more, not less, than we were on earth. Our Natural experiences, sensory, emotional, imaginative, are only like a drawing, like penciled lines on flat paper. If they vanish in the risen life, they will vanish only as pencil lines vanish from the real landscape. Not as a candle flame but that is put out, but as a candle flame that becomes invisible because someone has pulled up a blind, thrown open the shutters, and let in the blaze of the risen sun our life everlasting will be so much more than we can imagine that's what the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 eye has not seen, ear has not heard nor ever entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him that is our promise and in that we can rejoice Father, we thank you for your word and its truth and its power and we pray this morning that as we look together in these things that we may be helped, that we may be nourished, that we may be encouraged, that we may be equipped to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.